I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Finn Murphy's Tales of a Trucker, what all of us should know about moving. If you don't have a great marriage, if you want to get your kid off drugs, don't move for those reasons. That's not going to work. Stuff drives people crazy. And the more stuff they have, the crazier they get. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, we have a world-class expert on moving at the table with us, a man who's seen more of America's towns, cities, and highways than anybody I know, and he's done it from high up in the cab of a big rig moving truck. Finn Murphy is the author of The Long Haul, A Trucker's Tales of Life on the Road, and the book is just full of all kinds of fascinating anecdotes and perspectives. Yeah, we'll get to some of those. Finn has some advice, too, about our stuff and moving. More than one in nine Americans are expected to move house this year. That's nearly 40 million people. So, Finn, welcome to How Do We Fix It? You've learned a lot about stuff, uh, our attachments to our belongings. Stuff drives people crazy. And the more stuff they have, the crazier that they get. What's the category of stuff that kind of blows your mind the most, that somebody's actually bothering to move it? Tupperware. <laughs> How, so here, here's, a, here's a piece of advice. Why don't you go and pull all the Tupperware out and find out which ones have tops and which ones don't and which ones have been divorced with irreconcilable differences and then, th- and then throw them out. It's a, Tupperware doesn't really have that much value. It's not really that expensive, but people don't throw it out. And then, so here's, and there's another one. Sheets. So you've, everybody's got the two sets of sheets that they use, and then there's four other sets that are in the linen closet, and then they get pushed around, and then you don't know what size it is or whatever, so they never get used. So um, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have that problem. So those are, those are two. Um, and then you go through the, you can cull the garage. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how many wire rakes do you really need? Do you think people have too much stuff? I try not to bring a lot of judgment to that. What what I try to do personally is to is to remember what I see so that how it works in my own life. And my own life is extremely simple. I've got a little house in Colorado. I've got some shirts hanging in the closet, and that's where I mail my tax returns from. But there's not much in there. Books. I've got a few books. So you've been driving this country since the 70s, and uh, what have you seen change over those decades? 
Well, houses have changed a lot. I read a statistic somewhere. Houses are 30% bigger than they were in the 1980s, and I have no trouble believing that at all. So now you've got five, four, five, six thousand square foot houses, three car garages. What happened to the single car garage? Over the fireplace now, you have a 72 inch flat screen instead of a painting, and nobody seems to have books anymore. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Nobody has books. And I noticed one thing you mentioned was in the old days, moving vans would get broken into because there was valuable stuff. You know, people had expensive hi fi's and, 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 and stuff like that. Yeah. And. I don't think too many people were stealing pianos. <laughs> You'd have to be a masochistic thief. I'd have a nice piano. <laughs> but but you, you, you said that today there's actually not that much high-value stuff in that big van. I don't know where it's all gone. Because when I first started in the late 70s, and I was in Connecticut too, so there was a lot of antiques, you know, a lot of big armoires and all, and all that. And then you had China in the China cabinet with Silver, cut crystal. Yeah. And what, what do we have instead? We have Ikea. We have uh, CD towers to show off the Disney videos. We have uh, electronics of all kinds. In fact, that's another thing. Not only are houses bigger now, but the basements, apparently, they seem to be all finished basements now with a couple extra bedrooms. And then a second electronics room because nobody can seem to agree on what to watch upstairs. So, Finn, you have an unusual background for a truck driver. You grew up in Coscob, Connecticut, very Tony region, right next to Greenwich. And uh, you went to Colby College, where actually where my son went to college. Yeah, an elite liberal arts school. Yeah, <laughs> and then in your junior year, you said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to drop out. What happened? That was a really popular decision in the family, I can assure you. Uh, what happened was I was working summers as a local mover at a moving company right down the street owned by uh, Mr. Callahan, and my name is Murphy, and he went to St. Catherine of Siena Church. And if you got to be 17 and you were from Coscob and were from St. Catherine's, you could work on the moving trucks if that's what you wanted to do. And that was what I wanted to do. And so that was my summer job. And then I took a trip with a long-haul driver in between my sophomore and junior year, and that was that was it. We went down to Virginia Beach, Virginia, took the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel on US-17, and now I was seduced. So you spend most of your life moving stuff, but uh, where did you go from being a mover to a writer? So I started making audio tapes. I had, a, I had an audio cassette recorder, and at the end of the day, I used to just talk about it and make a few impressions or something. And then I started doing it while I was driving. And then I was having so much fun with this, I actually started to surreptitiously record situations and people when I was out there. So like during the workday and interactions with our customers and things in the truck stop. And when about five years ago, I thought, well, let's see what, what I have here. So I had them transcribed, and I ended up with a pile of about 600 pages of, of a lot of decent stuff and a lot of garbage, and went through it and started editing it. And I thought, wow, we don't have a semi-literate book about what it's like to be out there on the road as a truck driver. So and I thought, well, I might as well, I'm as good as anybody else. Maybe I'll try it. So what do you love about doing what you do? So there's two things. Just I, I was just getting a little wistful, actually, when I talked about doing the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel for the first time, which is an amazing thing to see. 
Um, what I coming east on I ninety from Eastern Washington, and then going through the vineyards there. It looks like France, Eastern Washington. It's one of the most underrated places in the country. Most people haven't even been there. Um, you have these beautiful vineyards, and then you have the Cascade Mountains rising up above with the snow cap, and you, you do that at sunset driving west. It's just incredible. So how have they changed? I, I rode across the country a, a few years ago. I had hitchhiked across the country a lot as a younger person. But then my son and I drove across a few years ago, across 80, the kind of classic route, and it was different. Uh, the diners weren't there anymore. The truck stops were not as funky and cool as I remember them. Of course, I was in my 20s when I was doing it before. What, do you, what changes do you see? Yes, so the so most of the truck stops are centralized. In t- there's two big operators. You've got Pilot Flying J and you've got Travel Centers of America. Those are the two big ones. And then a distant third would be Love's Truck Stops. These are all big companies. But most of, most of the restaurants are gone, and most of the small little truck stops are gone. And those are the ones that had the diners. And, you know, there's and that, the apple pie and the good coffee. The apple pie, the good coffee. You know, that first scene in... Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, you know, the truck driver's there in uh, getting his pie and coffee. Uh, that's gone, and it's pretty much replaced and by And Jack Kerouac something. talked about it, too. He talked about it. He said he was going to go all the way across the country eating nothing but pie a la mode. <laughs> <laughs> he might have had a cocktail in there somewhere, too, probably. And, and now he wouldn't get that pie. <laughs> now he'd, he'd be eating Subway. You write a lot about the beauty and grace of hard physical work. You write that hard labor is a salve for an overactive mind. What do you mean? I love the execution of it, and I love... There's an intellectual component to the kind of work that I do. It, it's, got a, it's sort of got a magical combination of specialized knowledge and brute force, and that appeals very much to my personality. And then we have the camaraderie of working with a crew. And, and I've got crews all over the country that I work with and have been working with for years and years and years. I, I want to ask you about your life on the road. Do you have to be a loner to be a trucker? Or is it a pretty good social life and you don't spend a huge amount of time on your own? I think you need to be a loner now. And it's getting... It's less sociable than it used to be because one of the reasons is trucks are way more comfortable now than they used to be. So now, I, in fact, I've got a brand new truck waiting for me in Indianapolis right now. It has eight miles on it. It's a freight, <laughs> it's a freightliner Cascadia. I can't wait to get into it. Um, it's got a queen, Why? Queen, Why? Yeah. well, it's got a queen size bed in the back. It's got a bunk bed up above. If I'm, it's got a microwave oven. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a nav system. It's got an air ride seat that can that I customize to my body. Uh, so if I'm parked at a truck stop, am I going to be sitting in a, one of those subway benches or am I going to be sit lying in my truck with the air conditioner on and my direct TV, uh, satellite? You've made a good living out of trucking. You're on the high end of truckers, but, but truckers come in all types, don't they? Long haul movers. We are at the apex of the pyramid. I mean, uh, uh, if I work 12 months a year, I can make well in excess of $250,000 a year. But the average wage or annual wage for a trucker is between thirty six dollars and $40,000. So there's a huge disparity there. It's a pretty diverse group. It's not, you know, a harmonized bunch of, you know, rednecks. Not at all. And, and getting less so all the time as well. Do you think a lot of people will look down on blue-collar occupations? I think it's been... D- 
Yes, I think it's been devalued over since the time that, that I started. I'm not sure why that is. And the other thing I'm not sure about why that is, when I started working as a local mover between college for Mr. Callahan, there was a very stable group of about 20 manual laboring men in Coscob, Connecticut, who had been there a long time, who owned their own homes and, you know, had regular families. And um, that sort of middle-class laborer seems to have disappeared out of the United States. And in the book, you mentioned that your workforce, you say now it's mostly, English is very rarely heard on these crews, and it's mostly immigrants doing the work. Do you think that's part of the shift that we've seen? I'm not sure about that. I th- Actually, I think... You know, there's there's sort of three major industries that are pretty much non-English speaking now. So that would be landscaping, house cleaning, and moving. And you, you could add the restaurant business. And you can add, right, especially back, back of the in house. the kitchen. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think it's typical of the American immigrant experience. I mean, Callahan Brothers that I worked for was, that was two generations ago. That was the Irish coming over. And then in the moving industry, certainly in the Northeast, it was Italians and Irish. Mariano Brothers, Malloy Brothers, I mean, they were all brothers, the Seven Santini Brothers. Um, that was the immigrant experience for those people, and now we have the Hispanics coming in doing the same thing. So I don't think that's different. One thing that is different, you mentioned you started working, doing this when you were in high school. The numbers show that there aren't as many high school students doing this kind of summer job. I bet you most parents in Cobb don't want their kids loading trucks. They want them doing an internship at, you know, Goldman Sachs or something. Uh, yes. And, and in fact, my parents probably rude the day where, where I became a manual laborer because I actually got caught in it and, and sort of am still caught in it. Um, it's worked out fine. I'm very, I'm very satisfied. And, and my parents and I finally made it up. How long did it take? Well, we didn't actually we didn't speak for two years. This is after you dropped out of yeah. Colby so College. I dropped out of Colby College as it finished my junior year, and then I came back home and I said, you know, this is what I'm going to be doing. And my father, who had never gone to college, and the only regret he had in his whole life, his father died when he was 19, so my father had to go to work and support the family, and his one regret was that he could never go to college. One of the great things in his life that he was proud of was that all eight children were going to go to college and he was going to pay for that except for the summer jobs we had to have so to have that gift rejected was the basis of our contretemps is he still around to read the book no he's not he died in 2004 but we made it up uh well before that it's how do we fix it i'm richard davis It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Jim Meggs. We're speaking with Finn Murphy, the author of The Long Haul, A Trucker's Tales of Life on the Road. Well, Finn, you are an expert on moving, so let's move to solutions. How do you pick the right moving company? One of them is you pick a moving company that has a physical presence in your town, that has trucks, that has an office, that might be a small business owner, that might be somebody you met at church, he might be somebody that you met at a rotary meeting, because Nobody, moving companies don't want moves to go bad. It's very expensive to file claims, to pay claims, to handle claims. We want it to go right. But because you're moving stuff, sometimes things happen. And so when things happen, you want to be able to pick up the phone and call that guy you met at the Rotary meeting instead of at some call center in you know Indianapolis or Mumbai who's handling your move. Because the only time you really need to talk to somebody is if you have a problem move. And that's where you really want a human being. And some of these moving companies almost operate like boiler rooms, right? I mean, it's a hard sell sort of sales pitch, and the people who are running the show aren't really connected to the community. No. And so that's the whole internet moving brokerage thing. They don't have any trucks. They're just they're just brokers. And then the, and you're t- you're, they're calling you on the phone. And they're saying, so what do you have in your house? And you go, you, know, you go from room to room and you say, well, I've got a chair and a dresser. So what happens is when the driver shows up, what the person said they're moving and the reality of what they're moving, um, there can be quite a bit of disparity there. And then since the driver's paid by the weight, he wants to get paid for everything he's hauling. And a lot of these Internet brokers give you guaranteed estimates. So once the driver shows up, sees there's way more than there should be, but he's not going to get paid for any more of that then we have conflict. And I think the last thing you want on moving day is to be, have a conflict with the guy who's taking all the stuff that you value. Right. And, and people are also really territorial, aren't they? You write in your book that people often are at their worst when they're moving because they're nervous, they're anxious, they're worried you're going to break stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, it hits them in their security spot. So you know, hiring a mover is like hiring a lawyer or a mortician. Uh, it carries a bunch of emotional baggage with it, and it's al- it's not always good news within a family when the movers are showing up. So, does it make us happier? Are people happier after they're done with their moves? Lots of people are, and lots of people aren't. So, if you want another, here's another moving tip: if you don't have a great marriage, if you want to get your kid off drugs, don't move for those reasons. That's not going to work. In fact, moving is going to exacerbate all of those things. What I see, certainly with the, with the wealthy people that I move, I see a lot of unhappy families building a new house with the architect and getting the decorator and redoing all of this stuff. And somehow this is going to make our relationships better with our spouse or with our children. And it doesn't work that way. Okay, th- those are reasons why you shouldn't move, but what are some reasons why maybe you should? One of them is to move closer to family or friends or connections with people in general. And I think that's where sometimes my customers get this a little bit backwards. 
you know, the crock pot's not as important as the new neighbors that, you, that you're going to meet. And so that's a great reason to move. It's a great reason to move if you're moving from, say, an urban area into, you know, a suburb because that's a place that you want to raise your children and to stay there and then become part of that community. To become part of a new community is a great reason to move. You said right at the beginning uh, of, of our podcast together that people really should just take the suitcase with them and go. Uh, what do you mean? I mean that we know where everything goes. As in ultimately. we movers. Yeah, we, yeah, we movers. Uh, we know the ultimate fate of everything because we're the ones who are there at each stage of acquisition and each stage of eradication. If you're between 25 and 45, you are accumulating. If you're between 45 and 65, you are starting to disaccumulate. So it's not that important to us as it is to you. And we know that Aunt Tilly's antique vanity is going to get thrown into the dumpster or go to a yard sale. We know that your high school yearbook is going to have the same fate. We know that your kids' kindergarten drawings are going to all going to have the same fate. And so you don't have to get sad about that, and you don't have to worry about keeping it. Keep the friends who you were in high school with and throw away the yearbook. That's, that's the important part. Finn Murphy, thanks very much. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. So, Jim, we were talking about scary roads. Yeah. And, and you had the same. You had a weird experience on I-70. Well, just, I mean, you know, I relate, even though I didn't spend decades of my life doing what this guy does as for a living, I spent a lot of my youth hitchhiking and, and driving around the country, all of those roads that he talked about. And that stretch of I-70 in Colorado that he mentioned on a trip I took across the country with my son a few years ago, we got stopped in the middle of the night in Glenwood Canyon. A truck had turned over, blocked the entire highway. This is in Colorado. In Colorado, in this very narrow canyon where I-70 is actually sort of stacked up with an upper level going west and a lower level going east. And we actually had to turn around and drive backwards. In other words, drive the opposite way than you're supposed to to get back to the next exit to get off the highway. They close the highway, but it's the spookiest thing to be driving along in the middle of the night going the wrong way on the interstate on purpose because the whole highway had been blocked by a turned over truck. So, yeah, I can attest to uh, to what a kind of a hair-raising stretch of road that is. Yeah, a good conversation about a lifestyle that I know nothing about. Yeah, isn't it interesting? This is one of our softer shows. I mean, this is not so much about how are we going to save the country, but but it's a perspective on the country we don't hear enough from people who do this kind of work for a living. And what I took away was this sense of this sort of a zen attitude towards possessions. Yeah, yeah, keep your friends, but don't necessarily... Yeah, yeah, keep your friends, but toss away the the yearbook. Yeah, and the Tupperware. <laughs> exactly. I love that. But you hang on to stuff because we have it. Having recently moved, I saw how hard it was to get rid of things that really didn't have that much value, but I still didn't want to make the decision to throw it away. Well, I moved from a fairly large house in a suburb into New York City into, into an apartment, so I knew we were going to have to throw away a bunch of stuff, and... I had a little time, 
And with all my clothes, I went through and I went, if you haven't worn it in the last two years, throw it out. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much you love it. And at first, it was like, oh, I really don't want to get rid of that suit, but I haven't missed anything. There's a huge amount of stuff we, we tossed away. Yeah. And I have no regrets. The downside of this that I think is a little bit sad is that we've become a society that's so accustomed to this, these riches that you can walk into a Walmart and buy, you know, sweatshirts for $5 and TVs for $200 that you can actually afford to throw stuff away. I don't want to encourage that. I think it's wasteful from an environmental point of view, but I think that understanding that once things have passed their usefulness, you know, it is time to move on. But then don't rush back out to Walmart and stuff your <laughs> giant oversized closet exactly. again with stuff you're not going to wear. And, and then another rule I think is good to have is once you're settled, don't have a storage room. You should be able to have your stuff fit in your house or in your yes. apartment. Well, when I moved, we, we rented a, a storage unit because it made the decision-making easier. A lot of stuff just went into the storage unit, especially when we had our house on the market, that whole declutter thing. And then it took us about a year to go back and clean that storage unit out. And you know what we found? Almost everything we'd put in it, we didn't really want to keep <laughs> in the end. just it. But it was still helpful just to have it for a little while. Yeah. It's How Do We Fix It. I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. And if you're moving anytime soon, make sure to check out Finn's book, The Long Haul. Even though it's not really about moving advice, it's more about life advice. But it's a wonderful read. Yeah, exactly. We're produced by Miranda Schaefer, and the production is from Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits at Davies Content, D-A-V-I-E-S-C-O-N-T-E-N-T dot com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Thanks for listening.